Welcome back to another episode of the OHL podcast, as promised in our previous episode on Tuesday. It is time now to preview the Western Conference in the OHL this season. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Over there is Dan Mahar on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. Uh, real quick, for those of you not watching this on YouTube, and however it is you're consuming this, we appreciate it so much. Get it wherever you get your favorite podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, pay no attention to the faces, just listen to the voices. But dude, where did you get the Halifax Mooseheads golf shirt? That's fantastic. Well, you know, most of my attire is hockey related in some way. So this is uh, came to me via friends that had gone out there and said, hey, we know we know who would like that shirt. So uh, so yeah, I had to, had to rep the Mooseheads for, for tonight's pod. So that makes me think, about what a moron I am and don't laugh yet because you've known this for many, many years, but it just occurred to me and you'll recognize this name, Dan Hutter. Dan Hutter was a former high school teacher of ours and he and I have stayed in touch over the years. Listen, Dan's a great guy, just a terrific guy. Does some teaching at the uh, University of Waterloo to this day. Anyway, Dan reached out randomly not too long ago and said i'm getting a danbury trashers t-shirt and i thought of you would you like one and honest to goodness like i've reached an age and stage of my life dan where i'm just like i want minimalist like i just want to be as much of a minimalist as i can and i've got a t-shirt drawer like everybody else has a t-shirt drawer which has way more t-shirts in it than any one human needs so my initial reaction is like thanks but no, I don't need a Danbury Trashers t-shirt. As much as I love the Danbury Trashers story and all that stuff, I didn't realize until after I turned down the offer that this is like some special merchandise that was just being released. And basically he was front of the queue and was going to get me in on the ground floor of Danbury Trashers merch. So the hell, I don't know what I, I don't know why I said <laughs> no, but I did. Well, I love the shout out to uh, Mr. Hutter. Apologies for my performance in grade nine history, but uh, terrific teacher. And yeah, if, he, if, if you're heading back to Danbury, I'll take the trashers gear. Why not? I had him in grade nine history twice. What does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> really a great guy. And on the Danbury trashers front, by the way, uh, previous guest on this podcast, Troy Smith, former head coach in both Saginaw and Kitchener and assistant in Hamilton, a former Danbury Trasher. And yes, if you go back and look up the OHL podcast with Troy Smith episode, you will get yourself some Danbury Trashers stories. Okay, uh, we promised to go into the Western Conference preview on this episode of the podcast. And my gosh, by a week from today, Dan, by the way, uh, it's, it's game one. The regular season will have started. We'll both be at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium for Rangers and Sarnia Sting. It's hard to believe we are that close to the start of all of this. It can't come soon enough for me. I, I, the excitement of training camp gearing up after summer is, is, is always a great thing for me. And then you get through camp, hear some of the storylines, but it gets to a point in the middle of this training camp where you're like, let's just drop the puck. Let's get this going. And I'm almost there. I know we've got a ways to go yet, but, uh, but it'll be here before we know it. A week from today, you'll get your first feature-length interview again on the OHL podcast. Not sure yet who the guest is going to be, but we'll let you know that on Tuesday, and we'll be here with a Tuesday episode next week as well. Before we get into our preview uh, of the Western Conference, we touched on this at the end of Tuesday's episode and the Michael Hagee deal that sees the Kitchener Rangers acquire 
five draft picks, only one for real. I mean, four are conditional if Hagee ever plays in the Ontario Hockey League. I have my doubts that he will. But the other piece of it, of course, becomes having been declared defected by the Kitchener Rangers, the Kitchener Rangers get themselves a compensatory pick in next year's draft, a first rounder. They got Hagee this year with the 10th overall pick. So the Rangers will get the 11th overall pick in 2023, plus whatever first round pick they get based on their regular season performance this year. What do you make of the deal? And to me, it's it's pretty shrewd by Mike McKenzie, who obviously the GM of the Kitchener Rangers would have decided, okay, Hagee ain't coming here. Do I have anybody who's going to take a nibble? Oh, Sudbury will throw me a draft pick plus four conditionals. And I'm cashing in on the double first rounder next year. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important, Mike, to understand the pressure facing Mike McKenzie, because that window to get that first round compensatory pick was closing. He, so if he, he had to declare Heggy defected and trade him now when he did, or his options would have shrunk to a second round pick uh, later on at the trade deadline and even lesser returns beyond that. So so he made the call, and I believe it had a lot to do with his second rounder, Cole Longacre, uh, who they thought was coming, uh, not showing up at camp this year. And I think that pushed McKenzie to say, you know, I can't have both of our top picks uh, not show up. So without knowing what's going on there, decided the window was closing. Let's get it. Let's do it. And we talked in a previous pod about how those compensatory picks work and the rules and how it's double dipping for these teams. But I think in, in some cases like this, you see it, it helps facilitate moves like this because you have Sudbury. If Sudbury had to give up their own first rounder, it's no thanks. We don't know what kids reporting, but all Sudbury had to do is say, yeah, we'll, we'll commit to a fourth and hopefully down the road, we can, we got a year or more to convince Heggy to come. Worst case, we gave a fourth, took a shot, win-win for us, win for Kitchener. No one really lost, except, of course, those teams that we talked about moving down a slot in the draft. So I think all that context is important. Like you, I'm not so sure or convinced that Heggie's going to report to Sudbury if he wouldn't to Kitchener. But I think it was more to do with McKenzie feeling a heat in the time time window closing there. Without having any certainty around Heggie, had to jump on that compensatory pick and have two firsts next year, plus the fourth and potentially a number of conditionals too. The thing now because you talk about those teams dropping a slot in the first round next season, which we talked about with the Sam Dickinson deal, right? Niagara to London, he's going to play in London. So all of the picks came back to Niagara plus the compensatory first, which becomes a fifth. So teams six through 20 next April are dropping a slot. And now the 11th bonus pick for the, like you've got two, compensatory first round picks in next April's draft. And I can't help but think, Dan, that's a number that might make the league raise an eyebrow and just ask the question if there's a little bit of a loophole here that may be getting exploited right now. I don't know, but I I would at least be asking that question in the head offices. Well, you know, there has to be a tipping point and I don't know what the number is. Is it two of these deals? Is it five? Somewhere along the lines, you know, the OHL is keeping an eye on this. And if, if it gets to the point where the noise will get louder, if there's three, four or five of these picks every year, because all the other teams are going to start crying foul and saying, you know, we got to do something about this. We can't be picking 25th as our first pick um, or something like that. So I, I think they're going to keep a keen eye on it uh, and we'll see where this goes. The, the current setup, as we discussed in the previous pod is not, not ideal, but 
I think they're looking for ways to facilitate ultimately getting these players to come to this league and stay in this league. And as we saw with Sam Dickinson, he's going to be playing his 16-year-old season in London. So that's a win for the OHL. And that was partly because that trade was facilitated, which it might not have been without that rule. So we'll see where this goes. But yeah, I don't like the optics of having several of those picks sandwiched in the first round there. That is a great point on Dickinson being in this league and that's a win for the league and it's a win for fans of the league. You're going to get to see Sam Dickinson play in the Ontario hockey league this year. And I don't think we should minimize the importance of that. Great point by you. Okay. Let's dive into this Western conference preview again, just like on Tuesday with the East, we're going to do it alphabetically. That means the Erie Otters are up first over to you, Dan Mahar. All right. Well, I, I, I know there's not a lot of belief in the Erie Otters this year. Uh, from the fan community, from the media community. I'm going to throw them some love. I think there's more talent there than a lot of people are, are giving them credit for. Uh, we've seen a decent little preseason here from you know, players like Sador coming back as a veteran player there. You've got some young talent as well. Uh, there's some players there I really like. Terrence really impressed me in every viewing last year. You've got a number of, of players who won't jump off the page at you in terms of their stats last year or their name value, but... Uh, Erie's got a reasonably well-rounded roster, and I, I, I'm not seeing a contender there by any means, but I'm not seeing a team that's going to roll over for anyone. So I'm going to throw them a little love here, Mike. I'm glad you didn't steal my thunder with the player. Kerry Terrence, great uh, reference, though, for a player. Absolutely no Sador goes without saying. Colby Saganuk, big fan, of course, because he's the grandson of, of Rocky, the former Toronto Maple Leaf. I still can't get over that in this league. Yes, I'm a bit of a geek and a huge Leafs fan. Uh, but the name I wanted to mention, uh, I'm going to get to in a minute. But because of the lack of love the Otters are getting, Dan, and I'm hearing the same thing, and in fact, I'm lumped in with that media that would be saying the same thing. But could it possibly be because of the four other teams in their division this year? The answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you're, if you're a baseball fan, you're a Jay fan, you, it's a familiar refrain, right? When you play in a division that's always loaded for bear, and, and yeah, you're playing in that Midwest division, the OHL, how many years do you see uh, those teams have down seasons? So you, the Erie Otters, it's kind of like going up against a school bully every day of the week. You, you pack your lunch and head to school. So, um, but they, they've always acquitted themselves right in that heap and they haven't been the weak sister. And oftentimes they've been the bully. So yeah, I, I don't dismiss that. Don't sleep on them. We'll use that line. So. Yeah, we used it for Sudbury on Tuesday. We'll use it for the Erie Otters here. And the player that I'm going to add to the ones that Dan just mentioned in Sador and Terrence is Brett Brissett. Uh, again, numbers-wise, is he going to leap right off the page? Oh, he's about he's about uh, 0.75 points per game, or no, but 0.67. About, he had 48 points through 60, uh, 68 games last year. 21 goals, 27 assists. But this guy's got a bit of an edge to his game. He's got some jam in him, and he's a guy I like an awful lot. So let's see if Brett Brissett takes another step, along with these Otters, who I think will be uh, a plucky team, tough to play against. Yeah, look, they're in a division that I think is going to be just wonderful to watch this year. I wouldn't want to play in it, but the Midwest is going to be a terrific division. And what do they say about improving yourself? Play against better competition. And the Otters are going to get to that for about half their schedule this year. Yeah, plucky is a great word, Mike. I love, I love that word because you got to think to yourself when you watch these teams in the NHL, how often do you see the Erie Otters quit? Or roll over for anyone and and I, I just didn't see it last year and I don't expect to see it this year and that often that compete level that we always hear about is one of the biggest factors in hockey so they seem to have it so as long as you have that and some of the names we've mentioned uh, yeah I think they're going to give everyone a, a go on every night 
I'm going to throw a quick shout out in here for Wes Wolf, who returns to the Otters bench as an assistant this year, was a head coach in the OJ a season ago. First of all, Wolfie is one of the best dressed coaches you'll ever see in this league. We were in Erie for a New Year's Eve game and he was dressed in some bedazzled tux. It was unreal. But even watch him when he comes to Kitchener or if you're listening in Erie, PA, uh, this guy knows how to dress. And he's also... He's just the guy that gets it when he was coaching last season. Uh, he did, I think it was a half marathon. I can just see him now just laughing, saying it was a 5K farewell, but whatever. He got involved and he literally put his feet on the ground to do a run. I'm pretty sure half marathon. But anyway, for mental health initiatives, I just, I love seeing somebody get behind stuff like that using their platform. And uh, that's a well-dressed platform that West Wolf is using in Erie as he returns to a bench in the OHL. Okay, from Erie to another US-based team, alphabetically through the West, and it's Flint. And the Firebirds had themselves what I thought was a real nice run last season. A little bit unexpected from where I was sitting. They kind of needed it because that's, that's a market that I want to see succeed. From basically day one, it feels as though the Flint Firebirds have been playing catch up. Even aside from the ownership issues and the soap opera that's gone on in the front office. Do you remember the water crisis? I remember going down there with the Kitchener Rangers team when we were throwing extra cases of bottled water into the bottom of the bus so we could take some down to our friends in, in Flint. So it's just been tough. And I think they had a nice taste of, of what could be last year. The question is now, what does it look like this year? I'll just mention the name Colson Petrie again. I talked about him yeah. on an earlier podcast when we were talking about players to watch, and I wanted to look for somebody just a little different that maybe isn't going to be on everybody's radar. He's certainly on mine. And Ted Dent, I think we sometimes overlook him as a dual portfolio head coach and GM with the Firebirds. Yeah, and just just to uh, feed off of your little uh, intro there to Flint, i got to admit I've got a complete soft spot for the Flint Firebirds and uh, – for those of you who have not experienced a game there, treat yourself to one. I, one of the most friendly, welcoming buildings I've been in, uh, but a really knowledgeable fan base there that that gets behind that team, and they deserve good things. And and saw a lot of them last year. Brendan Othman lighting up a lot of teams throughout the conference, and you had a lot of uh, talent there. Um, some of it has departed. Uh, I still see the Flint Firebirds as as a team that could make some noise. There's still quite a bit of talent there that can move the puck on that back end. And you never know in that Western Conference and with that specifically with that division, which is kind of wide open this year. Some of the uh, some of the usual suspects may not be as strong this year, and and Flint certainly could make some noise. Braden Kressler, good Kitchener kid, of course, playing for the Firebirds, and I remember years ago Rangers rookie Joe Gareffa joined us on our broadcast in the third period because he was not playing. And that was at the time where they still had the hot tub in the stands in Flint. And he's like, hey, Fars, think we can go down there? I'm like, you go wherever you want, Joe. I'm going to stay here and do the broadcast. But if you don't think you'll get in trouble with the coach, just jump right on in there. But uh, good fan experience. <laughs> well noted by you, Dan. Okay, next we move to the Guelph Storm. And let me just say, thank God you get to go first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, again, I know I, I know we're not doing predictions here, but I'm just gonna be honest on this on this podcast for the listeners and say I have Guelph right at the top of the heap. I, I I just love that roster, the way it's constructed. I love that Scott Walker's back in the fold. I love that George Burnett's still there. They have all the earmarks of a team that's going to be a beast in that in that conference. And 
you can rhyme off the names. I think you talk about Kitchener kids. Braden Bowman seems to be around the net all the time. You've got Danny Zilkin's got a ton of skill. Jake Carabella, Matthew Poitras. You got Cam Allen on D, who's looking to be one of the best players in the O this year. Still got some veteran leadership, hopefully with uh, players like McFarland coming back and Propak on the back end. And so I look up and down that roster and I see a team that really surprised people last year, maybe a year early, stepping into semi-contention. I, I see a bit of a beast this year and I have them right at the top of the heap. Uh, I'm not not sure if they'll be first, second or third, but I think I have them right up there, Mike. It suggests that your eyes are just a little bit better than mine. And I don't say that because I want to rag on the Guelph storm right now. I'm just saying I I can't figure them out insofar as they got to spend a couple of years as defending OHL champions because they were the 09, they were the 19 champs and then there was canceled season and no season, which was kind of fun. But as you just mentioned, they were maybe a, a step ahead of the curve a season ago. Yeah. Scott Walker comes back to be the head coach. I don't think he does that without thinking. I just, I don't know, because Scott was there in 2014 when they went to the Memorial Cup, right? George Burnett has done a fine job. I, I love them as a tandem. I just, when I expect the Guelph Storm to do one thing, they go and do another. I'll, I'll throw Nico Dawes's name into this. Second time this week, I, I did a little thing with uh, Larry Malott, the play-by-play -play voice of the Guelph Storm last weekend and chatted with him and brought up Nico Dawes's name. There's a There's another story from Guelph where you're like, where did he come from and what happened there? So anyway, I just, I look at so many things with the golf storm and I, I thought, well, it was going to go this way and it went another way. So I don't disagree. You look at that roster. We talked about Cam Allen on a previous podcast and lots to like, I just figured no matter what I say, it's going to be, it's going to be George Costanza when they decided to be, he decided to be an opposite. Right. So anyway, uh, the Guelph Storm in the Midwest Division. I think every team in the Midwest Division is going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. So there's my long-winded, I can't figure out the Guelph Storm answer. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's a, a fair point. And I'm not, like you said, my eyes might be better than yours, but yours could quite easily win win out on this one too. You're right. You're never, never quite sure what to make of them because I've thought the same thing. I've seen years where I thought they were going to be doormats and they were really good. And then I've seen including last year to some extent. And then I've seen years when, yeah, you're expecting them to run the table and lots of teams gave them trouble. So you never know, but I'm liking what I'm seeing on paper. I'm liking the way the roster's constructed. Uh, even Scotty Walker's son, Cooper's turning in another year there. I think there's just, a, there's just too much there on paper to discount them as a contender. All right. To the Kitchener Rangers we go. And I don't think I'm qualified in any way to give any sort of analysis of this team, because even my family gives me a hard time now about being the big fat Homer that I am. Look, I love this league. I really do put effort into bringing you some stories about the other teams that are playing, but I broadcast 68 Rangers games every year, plus playoffs. I'm born and raised in the city of Kitchener. I used to go to the Memorial Auditorium to watch Scott Stevens and Wendell Young and Al McKinnis and Brian Bellows. And so shoot me. I'm a Rangers fan there. You got it. Okay. What do you want from me? So can I, can I honestly analyze this team? I'll tell you what I think I see. And I think Homer or not, I see a pretty damn good hockey club this year. I see, I see a lot of depth on defense. I see uh, if pieces fall into place well enough, a, a pretty solid top six and a, and a third line that doesn't look too bad up front. I, I see a kid in goal and I emphasize kid that, really dazzled a season ago as a rookie. Is he ready to carry the mail? I guess that remains to be seen. 
But again, on paper, there's a lot that I like about this team and having spent some time chatting with Chris Dennis, I don't mean to dwell too much on coaches because I think I did that on Tuesday too, but I just like his approach. I, I, I like what I think we're going to see from him in terms of culture that he brings to the team and, and, and work ethic as opposed to just X's and O's. I'm sure he's got X's and O's up the wazoo too, but there's just something about his approach and his demeanor that I'm really intrigued by. And I think it'll translate well. So I think the Kitchener Rangers are a good looking hockey club this year. Yeah. I can, I'm not going to profess to be any less biased having grown up in Kitchener too. And the team I see by far the most and probably know the best I will say that yeah, I think it's fair to say last year was a disappointing year. I think people expected probably more of that roster. Uh, what I will say is I'm 100% with your opinion this year. I think they're returning the vast majority of that roster. Uh, they're an older club. And I know some people say, well, it doesn't matter if they're all older, if they're just kind of middle of the road players. But we all know what age means in this league. And they're a veteran squad. They got a lot of 18, 19 year olds. And almost overloaded at that point. Might have to move one or two. You never know. Um, when you're talking about players like Matt Andonovsky and Jacob LeBlanc and Jack Harper potentially struggling to get ice time on the back end, that's a pretty deep team. Up front, a uh, fair number of weapons. They'll they'll have to find some, some goals out of some players that hadn't really produced before, like Mitchell Martin. And I think Carson Rakoff is poised for a huge breakout year. Um, probably a lot of goals on that stick. The, the one piece that I think they're they're still lacking a tiny bit is speed. I don't think they're the strongest skating team in the West, and that's that's a factor in a lot of their uh, troubles last year. I think a Philip Meshar showing up would, would be humongous for that team, mostly because he represent, represents exactly what they're missing, which is speed and, and some goal scoring. So I will say this, with Philip Meshar, top contender in that conference for sure. Without him, I, I think you're still looking at a top half team for sure. Um, so may, maybe a little biased there, but I just think there's too much returning talent for them to not, not be in every game just about. Yeah. And we talked about that on Tuesday when it comes to the Hamilton Bulldogs, right? The experience that was gained a year ago, even with guys that didn't get a ton of ice, it just, it carries over. And, and I don't think you can underestimate that. So the returning, uh, the, the ice time that a lot of these guys got last year that they might not have gotten on other teams, et cetera. And I'm just going to throw a, a quick shout out, shout out in here for Reed Vlad. Again, my bias fully on display. I've always just liked the kid first rounder coming into his overage year. I'm glad he got invited to an NHL rookie camp, one of seven Rangers to go. And uh, we'll just, we'll just see what he can, if he can really put up some big numbers in his final year in the Ontario hockey league. Okay. Over to the London Knights and you're up first Dansky. Uh, well, if Ryan Payette's watching this podcast, which they're going to be terrible. They're going to be bottom of the, no, I, we just know they're writer is. That's fine. They're writer. No, <laughs> he's yeah. We, we have to do that because we both know Ryan personally and grudgingly admit we might like him a little bit. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, yeah. He, he's a good guy. So I just had to make sure he was still listening, but the London Knights, another team that's just about always in contention. And you look at that roster and, and I, I, don't see a, a primo contender there, but at the same time, I easily see enough talent on that team to be what they always are, which is top half of the conference uh, with some potential uh, to move up a spot or two, just based on those surprises that they always seem to come up with who, you know, guy goes from five goal season to a 35 goal season. So I'm expecting something like that out of London. I think the health of Logan Mayu is a huge factor. That's a, a player with the ability to potentially be a top pairing NHL defender who has not played any hockey, uh, very little hockey over the last two years. And that's really stunted his development. But if he, 
gets healthy in the early part of the season here and comes back, that could be a huge factor in that Western Conference. So I'll just leave it at that and say London is is what London is, and and they're they're going to be a team to reckon with all and season yet again. Brett Brochu might play sixty of the sixty eight games, so there's that. Sean McGurn. Without his, you know, his wingmen from a season ago, we've talked about that. We'll see how he does. Great point on Mayu. And, you know, I should have looked this up beforehand, but does it, we know the Knights haven't missed the playoffs under Dale Hunter. I seem to recall, because I looked this up at one point last year, have they finished lower than six? Would it surprise you if they haven't, Dan? I, they might've had an eighth place finish. I don't know. The point is to, to the point that you just made, Dan, London's going to London. That's what the Knights do. And so you always just pencil them in for competitive team. If they're not, watch the sales start, like, you know, in the Robert Thomas days uh, at the trade deadline. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Sam Dickinson, we've talked about at length on this podcast already. First round talent coming to London. And uh, as we've mentioned many, many times, the Midwest division is going to be a beast and the London Knights will be beastly amongst the beasts. Okay, from London, alphabetically, to Owen Sound. Let me start because I get to start this one, but I'm going to start it with a question to you, Dan. Is the sophomore jinx a real thing? Uh, you probably want a quicker answer than I'm going to give you, but I'm going to say no, uh, not not at large, not across the board. But I do, I do think there is a sophomore uh, piece that players need to figure out, and some don't. Um, some have expectations. I don't know if it's the work ethic drops off or the pressure to put up bigger numbers gets to them. But there is a, there is something around being a sophomore that can nip you if you if you don't have the right guidance, I suppose, and the right mentality. So is that fair? That's fair. I think the sophomore jinx is the stuff of superstition, which I have a lot of. I just don't like to admit to. But because I think it's the stuff of superstition, I'm going to say, no, it doesn't exist, which means look out for Owen Sound. Because if there's no sophomore jinx, those rookies we saw last year doing all of those great things, Colby Barlow, probably chief among them, are just going to crank it up another notch this year. And that's going to be a nasty, wasty offense. Defensively and in net, I don't know, but they might score nine a night. Yeah, yeah, no, fair point. I, uh, I, I probably overthought this one, but initially before I gave much thought to the league in general, I kind of had Guelph and Owen sound as my team. You know, they really surprised last year, a ton of talent on both teams. They're probably going to be the toast of the West. The more I thought about it, I'm, I'm not sure they're quite where Guelph is. And the, the big, the big factor for me is just the departures that a lot of talent out the door there, an awful lot of talent and an awful lot of leadership too. You look at what a guy like Mark Woolley provided to that team and you know, they moved Nathan Parrott halfway through the, the season last year. Um, a lot in the hot chuck you just name you can name probably six or seven key departures no one sound that that when you look back at last year they actually had a fair bit more veteran presence than we may have thought going into the season so that's a caveat and I, you know so you need those players like the uh colby barlows and and uh, cedric Gendon and those players to really take a huge step forward and i know that's a lot of pressure and that's a lot of expectation i fully expect those guys to put up numbers it's just is it a little thin around them maybe this year because of who's left that's a really excellent point. And don't ever apologize for overthinking on this podcast, because that means at least one of us is doing some level <laughs> of thinking. But this will be interesting now. Maybe you and I should wager a coffee. We'll figure out at some point uh, where the attack might finish, because I, I just based on what you said and your caveat is is well taken. But I kind of had them, you know, notched up a little higher, I think, in my mind. But your points are let's put a coffee on it. OK. 
Fair enough. Okay. But can so I ask if, you this before we move on? I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll ask you this. This is the one prediction I'll give. Do you have them ahead or behind Kitchener? Uh, one slot behind. Okay, so, same here. So we're, yeah, we're on so, the same page there. Okay, so I've got I've got Owen Sound either uh, fourth or fifth if the Rangers get third or fourth there. That's where I'm kind of seeing the attack okay. finishing this time around. So we're on the same page then. That's that's about where I've got them as well. Yeah. Well, we might just have to talk about it over coffee then because it sounds like it's going to be a soft. All right, <laughs> from <laughs> Owen Sound, we go to uh, Saginaw. I think I'm, I'm no, I'm not up first on this one. You are Spirit. Over to you, Dansky. Well, the Spirit are are coming off not a great year and a year that that I would say not a lot of expectations there was a little they were a little loosey-goosey I think probably of all the teams I saw last year probably the least structured most mistake prone exciting by extension to some to some degree they had some players there that uh, that actually I thought were pretty uh fun to watch uh, some decent uh, or NHL draft picks, as we mentioned, especially on the back end of Minchikov. And you've got a few players that, that were have a lot of potential. Um, I don't think they've got enough there to make any noise in the West this year. I do think they've got enough to entertain their fans. They're good. They're going to put on a bit of a show, but, uh, but yeah, I think this is going to be an also ran year for Saginaw. Minchikov is a real nice player. Lots of fun to watch. I think this, Obviously, the the thrill in Saginaw is going to be around Michael Nisa, the exceptional player that's coming into the league as a 15-year-old. And I'm just going to look at, at Chris Lazary behind the bench, too, because I'll never forget. I will never forget the talk I had with him in the preseason following the Spirits' exit in the West Final the year before after leading the Guelph Storm and, and losing that lead and all of the drama in that series. But Chris said to me that following preseason that had it not been for the birth of his daughter, it would have been the worst off season of his life. That's how that just the fire in that man's belly and the competitive fire, uh, boy, oh boy. So I think I, I don't disagree. Obviously they just, they just don't have the horses, but, but Chris Lazary doesn't like them being also rants. And, and it wasn't a great year last year. If it's not a great year this year, don't expect it to be a third, right? Like just even if the horses aren't there, Lazary's going to maximize what he can get out of this hockey club. So we'll keep our eye on that uh, U.S.-based team as well. Yeah, and that's fair, Mike. And I should I should note when I mentioned the Lucy Goosey comment, I have a lot of respect for Chris Lazari. I think he, you know him well from the GOJHL years back in 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 the Kitchener area here. Um, lot of lot of uh, respect for for that man and what he can do. So. Don't discount what Saginaw can do on any given night. Just like you said, not not the horses this year to make it a, a strong year. The Sarnia Sting for me, which we look at next, are kind of a little bit like the Guelph Storm. I can just never quite figure them out. And we all know that, you know, they, they've struggled historically, even beyond the second round just isn't a thing for Sarnia. But they've, they've had some nice players, some nice teams over the years. Last year, it was all about goaltending. When you were, I guess, going to be choosing between Ben Godreau and, and Anson Thornton, two NHL drafted goaltenders on any given night, and then which one would be traded. And they went through the whole season with both guys. And I don't know that goaltending necessarily turned out to be their strong point. So I'll just share the Dylan Grover story again. If you didn't hear it last year, gets called into emergency action at the game in London while he was in line to buy a hot dog ends up not even wearing his own equipment down on the ice. He, he had to go through security. He's like, seriously, my, my GM just called me and you have to let me through here. Cause I'm going in net for the next period. 
that's all I got on the Sarnius thing. I can't put my finger on who or what they are. I know last year there were a lot of criticisms of the defense being a little on the um, non-physical side, and it's pretty much the same crop, just a year older coming back. Yeah, you know, Mike and Sarnia, I'll, uh, I'll equate them to my comments in the previous pod about Peterborough, where, you know, they, they've often had a lot of talent and haven't quite put together, so they're going to need to prove it, and to their fans as well, they were dealt a bit of a blow last year, similar to Barry losing Forrester. They didn't have Jacob Pearl come back, and that was a huge blow that they were probably counting on him. I mean, Ty Voigt had a terrific year for them. They had some firepower. They could they could put the puck in the net. They had uh, great skating ability. Um, they had a lot going for them. But like you said, it's hard to put your finger on, but they just can't piece it all together and had a lot of just disastrous blown leads, terrible defensive coverage. Uh, so it's a team that, again, until, until we see it, some proof from them, some consistent plays in big games, I, I can't give them as much credit as some of the prognostications I'm seeing are that think Sarnia is going to be right at the top of the heap this year, certainly capable with what they've got on paper, but I, I, I'm not willing to give it to them just yet, Mike. All right. The uh, OHL's northernmost outpost is in Sault Ste. Marie. What do you make of the Greyhounds, Dan? Well, I know what most people make of the Greyhounds and that's, it's going to be a disastrous year based on all the talent out the door. And a lot of people think there's, they're not a playoff team and, so the only thing I will say about the Sioux Greyhounds is they're almost like the London Knights light is how often are they bad? They're almost always find a way to mine talent out of nowhere and get them playing. Um, the McConnell Barker brothers reunited up in, uh, in Sioux can put some pucks in the net. Sure. There's not, not a great uh, amount of talent on that roster based on the departures, a whole lot of uh, points going out the door. Uh, you can rhyme off the names, uh, you know, you got Karen, Cartier, you name it. They've got a lot of points went out the door, sure. But uh, I just keep coming back to that point. It's kind of almost the anti-Sarnia. It's it's how often are they bad? So I'll, I'll leave it at that and hear, hear what you have to say about them. Okay, ditto. Like what else, what am I going to add to that in all honesty? You you nailed it. And I don't, I don't know what Kyle Raftis eats for breakfast, but I know he makes good hockey clubs. Right. And John Dean is going to have two new assistants on his bench with him. But John Dean gets a lot out of those players. And I was also going to mention Bryce McConnell Barker as one of my absolute favorites to watch in this league last year. And he's only going to, in my opinion, take a step forward this year. And you mentioned the reuniting of the brothers. So uh, tons to like just from an organizational perspective. Yeah. It might it be one of those step back years for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. It might be. Just exactly as you said it, Dan, when's the last time they were bad, like really bad? It just doesn't seem to happen. So I'm not necessarily going to bank on that happening this year either. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair. It's a lot of it is is prove it right. And teams develop track records and uh, like it or not, Sue's track record is a strong one. And uh, so you have to always give them credit for that. So you, when you're comparing rosters on paper, a lot of times, if you just go by paper, you say, yeah, sure, they're bottom of the heap, or sure, this team's a lot better than them. On ice, they always seem to make it materialize at least to be competitive. So I think, I think that's fair. All right. The final team to look at in the Western Conference and of the 20 alphabetically in this Ontario Hockey League are the Windsor Spitfires. Sorry, the underrated Windsor Spitfires. You mentioned London a moment ago and described Sault Ste. Marie as kind of London light. London gets all the love and I get it, 
but the Windsor Spitfires are the team that just keeps on chugging. OHL Championship, OHL Championship, Memorial Cup, Memorial Cup, Memorial Cup. It's it's really impressive what they've done in Windsor. Uh, the problem, well, no, the good news is that they've done all of these impressive things because they're going to need to be relying on that for the upcoming season. The big question is, will Wyatt Johnston return? The answer is likely not. If if he does, I, I suspect he'll just be a piece that gets moved to reacquire what they would have spent last year. But the bottom line is it's a young rebuilding team in Windsor. And, and unfortunately, even with that team, the really nice team they had last year, not great fan support, although attendance was down across the league. We've talked about this before. Nonetheless, I think it's going to be a, a trying year for the Spitfires. Yeah, I think you're right. And so much of it hinges on that Wyatt Johnson point you just mentioned. And I don't know. I'm on the fence. Like logically you wouldn't think he's coming back, but that Dallas organization has a lot of really good prospects and they have an option to put Wyatt Johnson back in the OHL. So uh, it might be a 50, 50 proposition more than the 90, 10. It might, you might think it is so, but a lot hinges on that. If he comes back instantly, they're a, they're a reasonable team. If he doesn't, yeah, it looks a little thin. And I think they know that you saw them you know, moving Nathan rebound. They, they've, they've moved some players that they're, they're looking at that semi rebuild you get in the OHL. But I, I would just want to point out the, uh, the analogy between uh, Mark Savard and Jay McKee, where Jay McKee is a guy who came in from the NHL ranks as a former player and had some pretty strong rosters, especially in Hamilton last year, made a terrific run. And now he's going to have to make do with a lot less talent. And Mark Savard debuted in the OHL last year with an extremely good roster, did a lot of great things with them. To a large extent, this is where your medal is actually tested, though. What are you going to do when you don't have that roster? So I, I don't want to heap too much pressure on uh, on Mark here, but uh, this is a great showcase for him. What can you do with what you've got now? And I'd say the same thing I said in the last pod about Hamilton, that when you've gone that far in the playoffs, a lot of education happens in that dressing room and we can't discount that. So I'm with you. I think it's going to be uh, an also ran year. I'll say, I don't think they're necessarily going to get demolished, but, um, but I will see what Marcus Savard can do with them. Well, the power play will tell us a lot because he's pretty good at designing those. And on that point, I had heard somebody say that Savard, they thought was going to be a one and done as a head coach in Windsor, which surprised me a little bit, but obviously he's still there and good point on what he's got in front of him in terms of a challenge this year. Yeah. I heard some of the same rumors too, Mike, and it sounded almost like he may have, I can't confirm this, but it sounded like he may have turned down some opportunities to move to the NHL. So uh, it says a lot about his commitment, I suppose, to, to the Windsor Spitfires, and that should be a good thing for those fans. So hopefully we see more of them back in the building this year. It's the pizza in Windsor keeps them there. Gotta be best Zaw in the entire province. Hands down. When you mentioned prospects, uh, the prospect pipeline in, in Dallas, great point. It's got me thinking, not Dallas, but just players from this league up to the next level should give a shout out to both uh, Jordan Cairo and Sean Dersey, who both inked uh, National Hockey League contracts this week. Obviously, Cairo's a little more lucrative than Dersey's, but let's just touch on the Sean Dersey story. I mean, the guy, some weren't even convinced he could play in this league because of his size and the physicality and look at him now, a two year deal with the LA Kings. You know, Sean Jersey, I, I heard those same things. So he's not the tallest defenseman, uh, but look at the impact he had in the OHL when you can move your feet like that. And he was a solid, solidly built player. So 
I'm not going to pat myself on the back or you, Mike, for for saying, you know, we called this one, but I, I don't think either one of us were surprised having watched Sean Dursey in the OHL that he's carved out an NHL career. So I think sometimes there's something to be said for, you know, watching these games a little more closely. And I saw NHL talent there. I think you did. And clearly LA did. And it's, it's paid off for him. So yeah, thumbs up to Sean. Yeah. He's, he's worked hard for it. And I just love seeing the rewards come for that hard work. Okay. Uh, we've been putting in work on this podcast since late summer, We are heading into fall and we are heading into the season. By the time we come back, we are into the opening week of the Ontario Hockey League season. The OHL podcast will be back with another episode next Tuesday. And then next Friday, as the games are underway, we'll have our first feature length interview as well. Shoot us an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Please like subscribe, subscribe on YouTube as well. Follow Dan Mahar on Twitter at Tim Wallach. And I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell OHL underscore OHL on Twitter. This is the OHL podcast next episode, Tuesday. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.